All right, guys, thank you again for joining us in another special episode of The Chess Me. But more so than another today, not really necessarily talking to a podcaster, but uh, a man has a, uh, a book, per se. What's up, Chris? How you doing, Kirsten? How hey, you doing? man. What's up, dude? Ah, things are good on a Wednesday over here. How about up east? Oh, you know. Actually, it's nice and sunny. We don't have to mess with anything. It is nice and bright. It's just humid. Oh, it's a hot summer so far. I think we're due this year. How is it over there? Like boiling hot. Humid boiling? As, humid as the tropics. Does it usually get like that during this time of year over there? Yeah, from July to about September 15th. If you don't like the south, you should probably move because it gets pretty sticky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you have a book called 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. I do. Um, do you mind just talking about a little on why you, you made that uh, book and, and how, per se? Not at all. Thanks for having me on the show. So I've been in recovery about 35 years from drugs and alcohol and other things. Uh, There's always room for improvement. And uh, about six years ago, I got this inspiration. You know, for decades since the founding of the recovery movement in the 30s, people have been saying, gee, you know what? I wish my family and friends had this deal. I wish my friends could have a place to go to talk about whatever's going on in their life and get some tools. Mm -hmm. And so I just took it on myself and said, well, let's see if it's possible to actually write a manual geared towards the average person. And we always say in this program of 12-step spiritual recovery, no labels required. You don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict. Mm-hmm. And this book this book is actually a manual which has the entire 12-step process. And you can actually go through it uh, without the benefit of having a sponsor because most people don't have a meeting. And they don't have a sponsor they can go to for questions. Got it. So got it, was, it. it was a monumental undertaking. And I even can't even believe myself that I was able to achieve it. Uh, the book turned out to be pretty big. So what we've done is there's a version it's available on amazon 12-step spiritual recovery how to reclaim your original self soul and then mm-hmm. there's a two-volume version where we broke it down into smaller books because people are like this is a hell of a big book to carry yeah. around <laughs> now just take me through the process because one i've never i never had to attend any meetings or anything nor do i know uh-huh. any processes or anything like that however you know you see it on tv so you kind of yeah. have an idea but like like i said too um, in the kitchen where you see Ramsey all the time, he's like the most prolific one on television. It's mm-hmm. not that. that It gives you a snippet of what a kitchen is. So right. take me take me to a little like kind of behind the scenes sort of on exactly what happens if you uh, when you do go ahead and seek out help uh, and go to a facility per se. Well, the whole idea started from uh, having people that could relate to the problem that you have. That's the beginning of the entire self-help movement. What was happening for alcoholics at the beginning is that they would go to doctors, and doctors could help them so much, but doctors didn't really understand them. And then they would go to their church, and then their priest or pastor would try to help them, but they didn't really understand them either. But the two founders, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson, met in Ohio, and they were completely different people. One was a liberal uh, Wall Street guy from New York, that was Bill, and they were I was a conservative Christian from Ohio. That was Dr. Bob. And, you know, in today's political environment, they probably would have killed each other. Uh-huh. But, but uh, as they started talking about their drinking, they found out, geez, you know, you know what? You've done exactly what I've done. And they found that that actually healed them to have someone who could understand where you were coming from and create a safe environment to share your issues. So an accountability partner, per se. Yeah, kind of, but more of a friend, really, uh, a mentor, maybe somebody has experience, but somebody who really is not going to judge you or make fun of you, but can actually nod their head and say, geez, you know what, Kirsten, I completely understand what kind of day you had today. Mm, 
I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, talk about what when you say a sponsor, what does yeah. that mean? That's a guy who has more experience than you. And since he's been down the road, hopefully has done the 12 steps. He can mentor you through the process. Uh, there's always questions that come up, which is what I've tried to do with the book is address all of the concerns and pitfalls that could happen. And your sponsor is your go-to person to say, hey, help me here. I'm getting into trouble trying to do my inventory. How do I do that? Things like that. What's the mechanics of this? Oh, so it's someone, I, someone had already been on a program. They yeah, I would sponsored. imagine like, you know, as a podcaster, you probably went to certain people or maybe you figured it all on your own, but you might have consulted with somebody who's already done it and said, you know, I'm running into this problem. What do you think about that? And that's really what a sponsor's for is to help you through that. Got it, got it, got it, got it. It's, it's, yeah, I'm trying to like kind of picture it in my brain, how it all kind of relates to you know? And, you know, in today's world, we all, if you ask anybody on the street corner, you know, how's it going out there? Anybody from your family member to friends would say the world's pretty screwed up right now. Yeah. And these people don't have any place to go to get spiritual tools because as soon as you say spiritual to them, they immediately think about religion. And that's not what recovery is about. Recovery is about your soul. Uh, even if you don't think you have a soul, you can call it your essence or whatever you were born with. Mm -hmm. And one of the fun, one of the fundamental ideas of my book, which is on the cover of my book, if you go back and find find a picture of yourself when you were four or five years old, you will see a glow in your eyes that if you look in the mirror today, it's kind of gone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to the airport lately or to the mall, but when you look in people's eyes, they're almost half dead. I don't no, know they are. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different, it's a different zone kind of nowadays, especially like out there. And yeah, you, if you, if I turn on, I call it, if I turn on the spidey senses, right? Because yeah. like, uh, if I'm at the house and I'm cooking, I, I don't do the whole, I'm at work, I'm crazy detailed, uh, you know, trying to pit at everything. When I'm at home, I don't really care because I'm at home. Uh, yeah. But when I'm at work, all those senses are heightened and I am literally to the T. So I, I get it. Yeah. It's kind of like a costume we put on when we go to work. You know, this is my employee costume. And then when I'm with my girlfriend, this is my boyfriend costume. And at meetings for recovery, you can actually just be yourself. It's a pretty extraordinary thing. Ah, now take me to a meeting. How does that, yeah. how does that, um, how does that start? Uh, there's different types of meetings in, in uh, established recovery uh, where they have discussion meetings where people will bring up a topic like, uh, I don't know, fear or uh, having trouble with, with their spirituality, and then we sort of kick it around. People share their experience on that. There's open discussion meetings where people just share their day and sort of check in. And then there's speaker meetings where someone will tell their whole story from when they were born to where they are today. So if you if we're taking it as somebody, because we're, we're doing this audio kind of thing, but if mm -hmm. we were to give a visual, would you say that what they see on TV is pretty much what they can expect and what that meeting is? I'm so glad you brought that up. There's a show on HBO, which I won't mention the title, has just started. And the lead character is a very young woman who's trying to seek her recovery and having a hard time. And they always show this picture of people hiding in a basement and huddled down. And it's kind of dark. And they're like, oh, gee, thanks for sharing. And it, that's not what real recovery is. Real recovery is going back and claiming that kid in you that was happy, joyous, and free at one time. And the world and its systems and institutions. I remember when you were talking to Dan and about all the troubles you would run into trying to have a sushi bar that's mm. part of our systems and institutions and they're strangling us all the things we have to do to survive in this world is literally killing our spirit 
So as the book says, to go back and reclaim your original soul, it's about clearing away all this baggage we've accumulated our whole life so that you can actually go through your day relatively happy and not be affected by the stressors like you see everybody else being affected by. Got it. Because, you know, we always want to, it's hard to kind of reiterate what it actually happens when people don't necessarily understand or see it as an example. So I'm kind of just like thinking through all the TV shows and they always kind of show the same kind of thing. You're in a, not really an empty hall, but it almost, it's, um, it looks like a, like a, like a veterans hall kind of, right? Exactly. They're in in a circle. They're kind of sharing, et cetera. It's almost depressing if you watch the. It is kind of, you know, because they're just kind of going there and stuff. But I'm assuming it's more. It's a lot more than that. Which is so funny, Kirsten, because if you came to our home group where Dan and I go, it is so loud. Like at the end of the month, we have birthday night where we celebrate people's achievements and yearly sobriety, whatever. And we invite the family and friends to come and they're overwhelmed because you walk into there, it's louder than any bar you've ever been to with people (laughs) laughing and enjoying life. And that's what it's all about is enjoying your life. We only get one go around here. And unfortunately, a lot of people are not happy out there is what we see a lot. No, I get you. Now... You said party. What kind of uh-huh. food are we talking about? In hey, the now we're talking. Food <laughs> is my favorite. Food is my favorite subject, by the way. I love food, and I'll t- I was going to say this today. If I ever meet anyone who says they can take it or leave it, I'm very suspicious of them. Who says that about food? I absolutely, <laughs> I adore food. <laughs> you and I both. I I can't. I mean, I I can do the whole yes, you know, whatever food's in front of me. But at the same time, I would like to get. Or I would like to search for something better because as a as a culinary uh, professional, uh, I'm always intrigued on what people kind of eat and how they eat mm-hmm. and where they find the, the food per se, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, being where you are, can you give me like two restaurants that you absolutely love going to? Sure. Um, we're in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, there's a Italian restaurant downtown called Vincenzo's. Uh, it's kind of a four or five star restaurant and uh, they treat you right from the minute you get out of your car and the valet lets you in to the maitre d and they they absolutely fawn over you and it's about the experience the food absolutely is stunning but it's the whole experience that takes you away yeah that's uh that's what we do too at our, at our restaurant we give an experience kind of because it yeah food's food but you know, when you walk in, you want to feel like, oh, man, we're going to get some food today. Exactly. And uh, but I, I wish that we we would revamp the restaurant ever so slightly. Um, if you've listened to any uh, a couple of my podcasts recently, I, I talk about uh, how the aesthetic of the outside, like the front of the house, we call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still kind of stuck mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s. True. You know, what I'm talking about like the um, how do you explain it? Do you? um the ambience? Uh, no, no, no. Like the wood panels on a wall still. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it's still kind of painted like weird. And then the um, the the half wallpaper up. <laughs> <laughs> and we're serving like prime food at this location. And it, it's kind of nostalgic now. But I, I would love it to for it to just kind of modernize it ever so slightly. But I, I get it. I totally get it. And also, uh, there's a uh, top restaurant in town called Lily's. And um, if I was to recommend anybody visiting our town to go visit, um, it's a very small place. It's very hard to get in and get reservations for. Uh, They have limited seating. But boy, do they have some of the best food. It'll knock you right off your seat. Oh, yeah? Give me a couple dishes. 
Um, it's been a long time since I've been there, but I'll tell you what, back in the day, you know how you have these meals that stick with you over the years, and you're like, why oh, can't yeah. I ever experience that again? They had mm-hmm. this shrimp dish there, and it was on a bed of rice. I think it was wild rice. I'm not certain. But there was this sweet, thick coconut sauce, coconut milk sauce on top of it, and it had a little bit of fire underneath that. And um, I've been into that, and I said, this. I think this is one of the best meals I've had in my entire life. Ooh, that sounds good. But what they do is they source everything locally and organic. Uh, they use a lot of local farmers, and it's all southern cuisine, and it's um, everything just oh. – I'm, I'm kind of from the Julia Child School of cuisine. Anything that has, hey. anything that has butter in it is better. There you go. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was mentioning to Dan when we were talking. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, dairy, the consumption of dairy, uh-huh. right, for, for us humans, 90% of all human population – is actually allergic to cows, right? Like their their dairy consumption. So, essentially, we are lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. Almost all of us, nine times out of ten, or nine people out of the ten people in a room, will be adverse effects uh, when they intake some dairy. But you know, we tolerate it because mm-hmm. we love cheese, right. ice cream. We get it. Um, and I, I think the response they have is inflammation. Is that what you're talking about? Correct, yeah. yeah. It's inflammation and, uh, you know, the stomach aches mm-hmm. and all that. But uh, we, uh, when I say we, my wife and I, uh, we're trying, at least now, uh, to cut out all wow. dairy. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, so we have an 80-20 rule, right? 80% plant-based, 20% everything else. Because one, you, you still want to eat all the, the things that you usually eat. So you don't. You don't have a habit of not eating it anymore, and it'll give you more of a stomachache if you partake it again. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Like, because um, if you if you stop eating meat like right now and for a whole year, and then you eat it again next year, you will get mm-hmm. sick. That's just how your mm-hmm. body works. So, still kind of getting your body the those other things. Uh, that you usually typically eat, but mostly plant-based. You have the same experience with sugar. If you quit sugar for a long time and then go back to do it, you Oh, yeah, sugar will mess you up. Yeah, sugar will mess you up. It's funny you mentioned the 80-20 rule because my sister's an RM, but she's in the cutting-edge field of wellness uh, nursing now, and it's all about trying to change our health care system from a sick care system to a well care system. And uh, the Mm 80-20 rule is pretty well proven scientifically that if you you follow it to a T, you'll pretty much have a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I I had no idea. You know, I was just kind of like, you know, what if we did eighty percent plant based? And I didn't even know it was a thing mm-hmm. until I actually researched. I was like, oh my god, people have already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's already been a thing. I just had no idea. And I'm here. I'm trying to coin it and all that. Now backing up to the restaurant experience. Um, for me, it all starts <clears throat> with the bread, and I'm amazed at how many restaurants I go to that don't take that into their considerations when they're uh, trying mm-hmm. to have an experience for their customer. That's the first thing you taste. The butter is the first thing you use on it for some people, mm-hmm. and um, I think it sets the tone for the whole meal. And if you go to a restaurant that has the best bread in the world, like for instance, probably the third restaurant, if not the first, ahead of Lily's, there's a, a well-known restaurant in town called Jack Fry's. It's sort of like it really has a New York Soho vibe to it, and uh, oh yeah, Ooh. and they've got this uh, dark bread. It's like sweet and savory, and I, I, I would I could have make a whole meal out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why though they uh, that they don't mostly focus on no, bread? I'd and be interested to hear. Fact. So and it just depends on how your restaurant functions, right? Uh, to have a patisserie or a bakery inside your mm-hmm. restaurant, 
the bread needs to be it takes eight to ten hours for the bread or should should i say the dough to fully develop and rise in your kitchen and you need one or a sole part of your restaurant just cooking bread to keep it going all day you know just to kind of oh, function wow. that labor and that that's what i that's what i'm uh, kind of going into that labor is the 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 bottom line of your money if you can afford mm-hmm. that then your restaurant will be great because the bread will just be phenomenal fantastic it's fresh and you can literally say we have a guy in the back or a gal in the back making this thing daily and you're like wow world that of makes difference. sense but if your bottom line or your labor cannot handle said um, functions then we often like my restaurant uh, go to a third party and we just purchase the bread and we can kind of heat it up so our bread rolls and any of our um, our bakery mm-hmm. items um, especially the ones that we put in the oven to for the guests before they come in it's par baked so it's 80% baked and then right before it poofs they take it back out they cool it and then when it comes to my restaurant we heat it up for I don't know six and a half minutes or seven minutes and it gives you that golden mm-hmm. crisp uh, and then that goes to you know everybody else but it man bread is a whole thing uh like we can we can get into that but you know and i wonder <laughs> if that's sort of a hereditary thing because my uh mother loves starches like that breads and uh, potatoes things like that and i know they're not good for your body in terms of inflammation you know as long as it's multi not multi-grain bread but um i just have that gene you know some people like my brother he has the gene for vegetables and he has no problem eating them but um boy do i love bread <laughs> have you had sourdough yes. So that's what I'm talking about, bread. I'm not necessarily talking about just the no. regular stuff. Sourdough in itself <laughs> has, yeah, yeah. Sourdough in itself has a, uh, a separate enzyme mm-hmm. protein that breaks down um, uh, the particles inside. So when you consume it, it is not adversely affecting you, and it's actually healthier because it makes it gives you the. Uh, oh man, I can't, I can't even remember the uh, the word for it now. And I'm the culinary guy. It's it. Well, that anything that's. The probiotic. Yes, right, right. Anything that's fermented, like kimchi or anything like that, has that. Mm-hmm. As a probiotic that helps you digest things a lot more efficient in your body. But um, a couple of uh, a couple of food questions, and then we'll step back into um, the recovery because I'm really still I'm really interested awesome, in a couple, uh, like some acid. Um, the most disgusting thing you're going <laughs> to be in. All right. Now, let me <laughs> think. Hmm. Well, I've actually been to our state fair several times, and people love to go to the fair to have uh, the junk food, and it's part of the experience and everything. But, boy, I don't know. Let me think. If you get a um, – oh, what are those things called where they fry them up? The funnel cakes? Oh, yeah, the funnel yeah. cakes. And a lot of times they don't cook it thoroughly, and you get to the middle, and it's still doughy and all kind of moist and everything. Aww. Yeah. I would probably put that on there and <laughs> – <laughs> I don't know. I, I like nothing. Some, nothing crazy like a crazy protein. No, I've never been to the east where they eat tarantulas or ter- 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 termites <laughs> or anything like that. They say it's delicious, but because they they they, they do, fry yeah. it. Because no. it is. Okay, you're one of those. Yeah. I see. <laughs> I am one of those guys. Yes. That's hard for me. I'm a little food challenged on that. Some people are more adventurous, but if it's you know creepy crawlies, I'm not sure I could eat. <laughs> 
I'm Asian. I, by that's the what way. Dan told me. If I was on one of those shows like Survivor <laughs> where you had to do that in a challenge and eat that stuff, I'm, I don't know if I could. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, here's a crazy fact about Survivor. Did you know that 90% of what they're trying to, or should I say, the cuisines that they're sending out people when they uh-huh. first came out were all Asian oh, really? cuisine? Yeah. So all the Asians were like, that's normal. What yeah, are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> But over here, the states are like, Ew, what is that? Well, you no know what? Way. It's what you grow up with. I'll give you an example of that for the South mm-hmm. here is grits, right? right can yeah, you that. find grits up in New York? We do, but it's not It's not a normal mm-hmm. circumstance, unlike the South. And it's an art form down here. I mean, it varies. Oh, yeah, I could assume It varies so. per mm-hmm. region. You go down to Louisiana or uh, across the South, you're going to get different versions of it. Now, my mom loves grits. Like, she grew up with it. I grew up with oatmeal, and my mom grew up putting butter in it the same way she would put butter in her grits, probably why I have the butter gene. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I just couldn't quite in. It sort of seemed like a watered-down cream of wheat kind of deal thing for me. I couldn't quite get, get into the grits thing. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's more of a preference kind of thing, you know? It's uh, In my restaurant, I at one point, I was doing the shrimp and grits mm-hmm. for a bit, and people were digging it. And then... And then I tried other things, but it's it's not that commonplace to find grits here. And, and now down here coast. in the south, another staple is the biscuits, and I can do some biscuits. <laughs> Ooh, I can put down some biscuits. Biscuits and, and gravy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Don't gotta tell me twice. Oh my word! Yes, biscuits. So I grew up with a mother who was on the cutting edge of a lot of things. She's eighty-four now, and she was on the cutting edge of women's liberation in the '60s and civil rights. And she was on the cutting edge of actually organic, healthy eating. And so, about 1970 and on, we had this shift in my family where you know we used to have TV dinners and the processed food in the '60s, and then in the '70s we'd come down for dinner and she'd say, "We're having burgers tonight." We'd be like, "Oh, cool burgers!" And then she'd say, "Eggplant burgers," and I would look at her and. Now, who in the hell would ruin a perfectly good burger and come up with an eggplant burger? I mean, back then, that was like, that was culinary cuisine. That was way out there. People were trying to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now that's exactly. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had that. Exactly. You know, but in our family, we made fun of it, though, because, you know, Yule Gibbons was on the cutting edge of all the organic and healthy eating. And then he died. So we were like, well, it didn't work out for him, did it? <laughs> my uh, my favorite memory was, um, or rather, the one I usually uh, give an example to was gluten free pasta. Oh yeah, right. Uh, when I first came to the states, ninety seven. I remember gluten free uh, pasta. My mother tried it, uh, tried to have us eat it, kind of, but it tasted like paper. It was straight up. I don't know. It was just the texture it didn't come out mm-hmm. right uh, because one, it doesn't have the gluten. So it doesn't hold up properly to begin with. And it's brown. It looks like cardboard. And But nowadays, like I tell you right now, like if you go to a Trader Joe's or whatever kind of, um, you know, a supermarket that you have down there and you try their gluten-free options, it tastes just like regular mm. pasta. And you can attest that to almost anything mm-hmm. nowadays. So there's a lot more options uh, to begin. It doesn't taste well, like I'll cardboard. I'll give you one that's in the news now that we were talking about at work the other day is this Beyond Burger. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's extraordinary. They literally could change the planet with that development. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It gives the same... It, it gave that same um, mm-hmm. mouthfeel um, like, like the red meat does with the protein mm-hmm. that it does uh, after being cooked and they managed to get it on that plant. And I was just like, extraordinary. wow. Extraordinary. 
that's something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had it. It was. Um, I I don't mind it at all. Everybody who's had it says they can't I tell the difference. I'm, I'm ready for the experience. Yep, I'm willing to do that. Cannot tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Now let's get into a couple of the steps. Yeah, if sure. You don't mind. Um, I yeah, yeah. To ba- bring me like the first. Yeah, okay. Couple. Well, hold up. First, I wanted to back up a little bit on the whole process. So what we're doing, because your your listener might be like, well, does this apply to me? Um, Everybody out there has issues they're dealing with, and we all have ways to cope with it, and we all have bad habits and, and, and inner demons, whatever you want to call it. And uh, a lot of people aren't even aware of them. And what happens is they repeat these patterns to the day they die because they've never had any process like inventory like we have in the steps to challenge it. So um, we're not only got this book going, but we're starting meetings. And the idea is to have as many meetings for average people as there are for alcoholics. It's called t- it's called 12 Step mm. Spiritual Recovery, and there's a website. It's it's 12stepspiritualrecovery.com and we have three meetings started already we've got two in Louisville and we just started one in LaRue County in the middle of the sticks in Kentucky and we've we've only been at this for four months now and so we're hoping to expand this nationwide and um, this is also for people who are already in recovery because we need people to be sponsors and so if anybody out there already has some recovery and they're looking for some service work check this out because we're really trying to take the steps to everybody else in the world again like I said we all agree everybody's sick out there but we have this strange thing kirsten where we say you know what that guy he's really sick but me i'm okay and my my argument yeah. is we're all in the same fishbowl don't think you're not being affected by all this craziness oh, yeah. that's going on in our world right now yeah absolutely it, it takes it takes uh, it takes one person to really say you know what i'm mm-hmm. not right i think mm-hmm. i need help and that's that's like the well, what happens hurdle, is the ego gets kinda. in the way, and for most human beings, it takes a crisis of some variety to stop us to do that introspection work. Now, in the East, introspection and contemplation and meditation is a common practice, but in the West, in the West, mm-hmm. we're go, 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 and it's about outer achievement. But, you know, in 2008, we had this crash of the stock market, and everybody was expecting to retire soon, and suddenly their retirement account evaporated, and it caused a lot of people to reevaluate their priorities in life, and unfortunately for human beings, uh, but what recovery does is it shortcuts that. It says you don't have to wait till a tragedy hits. You can reevaluate your life now before it's too late. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the the the, the meditation mm-hmm. aspect because um, it is so. It is that is our commonplace in uh, in the Philippines. You know that's where I was raised. Um, I often would remember my grandfather and my grandmother uh, would just take time in our day, literally just sit in silence, close our eyes, center themselves have a cup of tea and that's where my um that's where my habit is like if you ever see me in my restaurant there's there will always be a point in my day where i will take maybe 10 or 15 minutes to myself just drinking a cup of tea to recollect my thoughts because i it, it helps me to kind of get my day together and that's that what sets that me straight awesome I tell my patients, I work in, I'm a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. I work in a mental hospital and, you know, they're very unfamiliar with meditation or they have stereotypical ideas that there has to be a right or wrong way to do it. And I say, essentially, it's just taking out the trash. You know, you have a recycle bin on your computer and you're occasionally your computer needs to do a scan and get rid of all the unnecessary bit files on your hard drive. Well, the brain works the exact same way. If you know anything about neuroscience, it accumulates all this information and you either work it out in your dream state, but there's 
usually stuff left over. So um, I tell my patients, if you cooked fish in your house and it was very odorous and it left a big bad smell in your kitchen, I doubt you would leave it in your trash can overnight. You would probably take it outside and put it in the outside trash can. And I try to tell them mm. that's what meditation is. It's taking all that stuff that you've accumulated by listening to the news, dealing with your neighbors, listening to your coworkers bitch about this or that, and then throwing it out, getting rid of it, emptying your mind. Oh my God. One of my buddies would really benefit to listening to this because he's having, we were just talking about it last night. I was in mm -hmm. a band rehearsal. Oh, you're in a band? And uh, he was, ex I'm That's in a band awesome. also, yes. So I have a lot of, a, let's just say, um, jack of all trades kind of say, right? And um, we, are, we are currently in a rock band here in the East Coast. Um, but but anyway, uh, my, my drummer is having a little, not really issue, but he expressed to us last night where he was having a hard time trying to um, not deal with it, but letting go is what he mm -hmm. was trying to say of um, a lot of stress. And he just keeps on adding to it uh, on a daily instead of just kind of releasing it. And I mentioned to him about my tea habit and my, my meditation. Uh, my bass player, he goes, um, well, he does recreational uh, weed smoking, which is fine. <laughs> we call and that marijuana maintenance. Stuff. We call that marijuana maintenance, you know, whatever it is. But that helps him get on his center. And he just does it enough so he feels, you know, okay with it. Um, but my drummer is really having a hard time, kind of. And he, he expressed he, he went to, you know, a couple of other uh, avenues trying to get it all straightened out. But we told him, I was like, hey, like, if you really want to, we would sit down with you. You know, let's, let's try this out. You know, maybe let's try the meditation one time or... Maybe if you not necessarily try the drug, but, um, you know, maybe some other way to, to help you relax because you, I, we can feel it. And he mentioned it, too. He's like, guys, I'm really sorry. You know, i am just been really stressed. And we're like, it's OK. We can tell. That's why we're talking mm -hmm. right now. Um, one of the things we talk about in recovery, we have a phrase where we say it's an inside job. And if you look at all of our spiritual teachers that have walked the planet from Buddha to Muhammad to, to Jesus, they all said you have to go within. You have to stop looking at outside fixes. And unfortunately, in our country, we're trained like monkeys. We're literally programmed. I talk about that in my book um, to find our fixes from the outside. And what I always ask my patients to question themselves is, why do I have to have something from the outside to fix my insides? What is not right with me within? Mm. And meditation is actually a strong part of the recovery program. It's in step 11 that they ask us to continue to meditate and try to get closer to our idea of a higher power. That's probably perhaps the coolest mm -hmm. thing about recovery is there is no prescribed God. There's no prescribed idea of what your higher power has to be in recovery. Each individual member is allowed to have their own conception about something that works for them. And, and it's a process mm -hmm. you go through during the 12 steps. It's actually meant to wake you up to gain your own conception because most people don't start with anything. I know when I started the 12 steps when I was first in recovery, I was very confused. All my training came from the church. And so I thought they were talking about religion. And then I come to find out mm -hmm. I was actually a very spiritual person to begin with. I like to take long walks in nature. I loved animals and be with my pets. I loved music. I was in a band myself. And yeah and so that's spiritual that's your whatever gets you that juice is what we say in my home group that's your spiritual side and unfortunately mm. religion has kind of co-opted that and people think you can only do that in a building with a proper person but each person is spiritual but they don't really understand how to develop that yeah no, i'm with you i'm just let's just say fortunate 
that I got the habits of my grandfather. Oh, really? And my grandmother That's a died. tremendous thing time. you were yeah, given there. They took their time. Yeah, yeah. My mother too. So it's it's um it became commonplace in my household when I was growing up, where we were we each not really. I mean, I do the tea thing. My grandfather did the coffee thing. Uh, my grandmother tea. Uh, my mother would just sit outside, just kind of look out and you know sit and get herself all together. Um, but there's a lot of that, and I, I, I picked up that habit. And, I, and I the saddest it. part it's, about it for us Americans is we have so much bounty over here and probably more leisure time, even though we're overworked and overstressed. But uh, compared to our ancestors, we certainly have much more leisure time. And the Italians have this phrase, la dolce vita, about the sweet life. And it's yeah, about taking that time to just sit and have that espresso and just enjoy your day and feel the breeze and smell the flowers and, and stop rushing through life. You know, it's going to be over pretty soon and you're going to miss the whole experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, like I said, if you see me in my restaurant around seven, seven thirty, or if I'm there like seven thirty, eight o'clock, that's cup awesome. of tea. That gets me straight, and then I get all my stuff together, and then I'll still have it during the day too. But that initial, just to myself, that little bit will get me all. Juiced I call up it ready. building my fuse, and I guarantee after you do that, you're a lot more patient with with troublesome customers. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not customers. Oh, your workers. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's my it's my staff that I'm um, more so, uh, you know, cracking the whip as they say it in my mm-hmm. kind of um, way. But we don't crack whips at the restaurant. At least I don't think so. But you know, to each. So you asked about guess. the steps, and really where it starts in step one is. Um, Um, If you have any sort of issue in your life, stop working on it yourself. We're very well trained in the Western world that there must be something I can do about it. We don't understand the concept of powerlessness. Like, for instance, I said to my patients this morning, did you have any power over whether you woke up this morning? No. And that's just the tip of the iceberg about how powerless you really are. Um, But the example I use in my book is if you're walking down the street and you see a a guy laying on the sidewalk and he's trying to cut his chest open because he's a heart surgeon, he's trying to do heart surgery on himself, you'd think that was pretty foolish. But unfortunately, every single person you see out there in the world is working on their problems all by themselves. They're not willing to go to a therapist. They're not willing to read a new book or go to a workshop because that's all goofy, strange stuff. They won't do any meditation and they're making zero progress. All of us have friends or family members that we watch repeat the same patterns and we can see it. And we're like, why can't they see that they keep doing the same thing? Because their step one is about Mm. stop working on the problem. You don't have the answers. Let it go and surrender. Yeah, that's uh, that's powerful then, stuff right there. It's it's hard. That's that's like a that's a really it's a hard concept. Very hard concept. Just be like, it means that. Yeah, yeah, and be just like you know, yes. just let go. Like just to oh it's my a, god, it's a trust deal, yeah. you know. And a lot of us have been hurt in the past in our families or when somebody let us down, and so we're like, oh, hold up, you want me to let go of my money situation? I'm not sure that I don't want to let go of my security like that. But the idea of the twelve steps is if you do that in step one and admit that you're powerless and that you've become a little bit unmanageable, step two says, okay, now we're going to look at finding this power greater than yourself, and that power can be anything. You'll find something down the road that could maybe help you to assist you with these issues you have in your life. And anybody, ask anybody in recovery, they'll tell you once they started to do that, they made much more tremendous progress than they ever made their entire life working on their issues. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
It's uh, just looking from your mm-hmm. within, you know. And then after that, you make a decision in step three that, okay, I'll give the work a try because the first three steps is pretty much just making up your mind to do the work. And four step comes in with this inventory thing where you get to write down all the people, places, and things, political ideas. Like you're watching TV and a star comes on. You're like, I hate that guy. And everybody's like, why do you hate that guy? And it's like, I don't know. I just hate that guy. Well, if you do a four step, we can actually find out why you hate that guy and what roots are in you mm-hmm. from your childhood, from your programming that I actually made you hate that guy and uh unfortunately most people are walking around without much awareness about what drives them and the inventory can completely wake you up as to what your habits and patterns or what bill called your causes and conditions of your entire life oh yeah wow like people like if you talk to your friends or your drummer friend you're like he'll be sitting around bitching like well, why don't i have more money or why don't i have this or why is my life like that there's actually reasons Mm-hmm. There are things that have been laid into you by your ancestors, and it was laid into them by their ancestors. And if you don't do inventory and then talk to somebody about it in your fifth step, you won't get any clarity. You'll just keep repeating these patterns, and you'll never have those better things you want in your yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. So the 12-step program is a revolutionary thing. It's almost like... Um, the kind of enlightenment, you know, that you would get in the Buddhist culture mm-hmm. in the Hindu culture that takes years and years of practice to get. Literally, you can do these steps in four to six months, and we have that kind of transformation of heart, mind, and soul. It changes your entire mortal Ooh, existence. That is so, that is, that's a lot. I know, I know. And it, most of us who have it feel like there is definitely a God behind giving this gift to humanity. And with our world in serious trouble today, if we don't wake up, we're going to destroy our planet. Absolutely. Wow. So I hope people will check it out. And they can get on the website. Again, the book's available on Amazon, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. Um, how to how to uh, regain your, or reclaim your original self-soul. And uh, I don't know. I, it, we love it. Recovery's <laughs> the best thing that's ever happened no, to me. I, I guess mean, you like, figured that like out. A, <laughs> this is an awesome thing all together, this conversation, because one, it gives me an insight on exactly what you're going through, how you're going through mm-hmm. it, and um, how you're applying it. And it's. I'll give an example that might help you, Kirsten. Please. I mean, if you think about a drug addict, which is what I was, who absolutely cannot stop using, and that's all they live for is to get their next fix. Mm. There must be something in this world that is more powerful than that, more powerful than heroin, more powerful than whatever their thing is, so that today, and for 35 years, I've had no thought or wish to go back to that life. Oh, wow. And the, yeah, and I explain it to my patients. It's like, okay, if you're in kindergarten and then you graduate, you go to college. And we've all had that experience of being new at college. It is so exciting and so fun. And somebody says, well, hey, why don't you come back to kindergarten and smoke this joint? And I'm like, no, I'm in college. I love where I'm at right now. I'm having a great life. Um, and boy, I wish everybody could have this. But unfortunately, their ego is going to get in the way of giving it a chance. Mm, but... It is there, and hope is there, and you put it, you know, good enough that it's in a book and people can kind of follow it. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a big step, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah, that. No, absolutely. Now, before we do though, because I I know you did your plug there, but I have yeah. two more questions for you. I love it. Okay? Ask me some food questions. So just a couple, and I just kind of want to pick your brain just ever so slightly. Yeah. Intermittent fasting, fasting. Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Well, I. I my sister, as I mentioned before, is a wellness nurse, and she sends me just about every piece of research data on healthy eating that you can imagine. And there's a, a large body of evidence that is showing that intermittent fasting can add years to your life. And unfortunately for me, I like to eat too much and being an addict. 
<laughs> being an addict, if I go without eating, I do think there's actually a theme among addicts that I've seen among my patients that um, if they go without eating for a while, their blood sugar gets low and their mood turns to like the worst you can imagine. So uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. normal for anybody, though. Well, right? that's true, but I think they have it even worse because one minute they'll be in group and they'll be enjoying the topic and participating, and then they just shut down, and then they give you that resting bitch face, and <laughs> you, can't, you can't get anything else out of them. Um, so my problem is, is once I start to eat, I like to eat more. So um, I think I kind of do it up to about sixteen hours at time, but I'd like to go. do the couple of day thing is what I'd like to do. Like two day fast. Yeah, exactly right. Oh wow, wow, wow. I haven't tried it. I just said, I don't think I want to, though, but I can definitely do it, but I don't want I, to. I'd have to do it over a weekend where you're not at work where you might pass out or something. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a little hard for what I do. I'm constantly in the restaurant. so. I imagine you're constantly on the go if you're in the restaurant industry. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little tough, but we still make time for everything else, you know. Like, I think I'm a master, and I say that with a really big grain of salt, I'm a master of um, managing my time and that's what I got from working or being in this industry for so long you can allot the time frame um, a lot better than most people would and I can I can like program it into what I do better and you know it's cool about that it, once you get to a certain age and again with this work in the 12 steps it'll help a person do this when you get clear about what's important to you in life um, you can have a pretty good management skill about what you're going to spend your time doing you know mm -hmm. and um and you guard it you put like boundaries or like for instance when i'm writing if i don't make time where i'm not i don't pick up the cell phone i'm unavailable you can't bother me i'm up in my little cave doing my writing mm -hmm. and that's an important value in my life and i honor that and i wish we would teach our children that from a young age to find something you have a passion for Mm -hmm. and then set boundaries around it because that's what makes you happy in life it's not the oh, yeah. stuff you own it's how you're spending your time you know oh yeah i'm definitely gonna instill upon my uh, my kids some um not processes but at least some habits uh, that will give them uh, a good footprint for a center so they can find um you know where what that happy medium is for what they like to do on their time off so and one of the most rewarding things for me is if I get a patient who really takes to meditation and they start teaching it to their children, I'm saying within two or three weeks, they'll come in and tell me a story that their kid came into the room at two o'clock when they usually do it and was carrying their blankie and their teddy bear. I was like, mommy, mommy, it's time to meditate. I mean, the kids take to it. They oh, like yeah. it. You just have to teach them. Oh, yeah. Now, Chris, one final, uh, one final question to you. Sure. And this is the kicker, I call it. Um, have you ever eaten spam? <laughs> All right. I'm glad you asked me that, sir. So my mother had married uh, in her first marriage. My dad was very cosmopolitan and uh, you wouldn't find spam near him. And then my mom went, took a complete left turn and married a man who was a, a nurseryman. And, and we lived on a 52 acre farm for trees and bushes. And uh, he was about as country as you get down here in Kentucky. And uh, Spam became a staple of both our breakfast and our dinner. Hey. hey. That's and uh, you have to have a taste for it. Um, it definitely depends on how you prepare it. Uh, I think fried up in some butter. Like I said, anything with butter works for me. Ooh. Uh, a good Spam sandwich. Oh, I could do that, you know. Uh, it's kind of like bologna or salami mixed together, kind of mashed together. It um, is. Yeah. yeah. But it has its own unique little deal there. It is. And I, I ask that question a lot because 
not that many people have eaten it, especially uh, people my age. I'm 34. I think, I think they turn their nose up at it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And they're just like, what? Or you have 33. I'm 33. I'm 34 <laughs> this year. <laughs> I'm glad she's keeping you honest. Oh, why is it okay? But um, I I grew up with spam. We're in the Philippines, so mm -hmm. it it happened to boom. Let's just say uh, during World War II, where they found um, a way to keep this protein to the troops longer in the field, and that's how spam kind of came about. Um, and once it landed in our shores, it became our cuisine, like Filipinos and spam. All day. Wow. Yeah. Now, I have a question for this. you. Have you been able to incorporate it into your menu in any way? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> not. Not able to incorporate it into my menu just yet. But, you know, eventually maybe we will. So like I was saying, Spam is a natural cuisine, normal cuisine, but I haven't been able to get it um, to put into my restaurant because one I am corporate so they they have like a really keen eye on adding stuff onto it especially like spam or like third-party products kind of oh sure yeah unless it's approved by them then it's fine but if I'm making a meal myself absolutely <laughs> now, see down here in the south I was saying uh, we have our own version of spam the question we ask people down here is do you do the white castle Oh, because you either do the slider or you don't. And there's people turn their nose up at that, too. They don't understand the appeal. And you're like, you just have to be raised with it. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, you have been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you uh, for coming on. This is this is great. This is this is really amazing. And I appreciate um, your book and what you're doing. But if you don't mind, can you just tell everybody where they can find your stuff? And one more one more time, if you can. Tell them what the name of your book is. Certainly. It's 12, Spe 12 Step Spiritual Recovery under my full name, James Christopher Cohn. Uh, it's available in just that version, which is the entire book. And then if you want to Google uh, Volume 1 or Volume 2 with that, it's, it's separated into two separate books. It's available exclusively on Amazon. And we have a website for the meetings, which is 12stepspiritualrecovery.com. And that explains what we're trying to do with the movement and trying to help everybody else out there to have the best life ever. Wow, 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 wow. Like, a, man, this is like a like a fully loaded episode. I truly appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. You know? Happy back in yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, man, we're going to do this again. Sounds Definitely great. Sounds again. great. Now, like I said, Chef's Meal airs every Monday. Well, I call it live in a restaurant where my sous chef and I talk about all, our fun all the fun stuff that happens in our week in a restaurant. And then Chef's Meal on Thursdays where you'll find people like Chris, who is, is an amazing person altogether. And uh, let's share his uh, experiences and all that. But other than that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chef's Meal, where we talk about whatever and never and everything else in between.